Thank you for listening to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit girlswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Hello and welcome to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. I am Sarah Madras. And I am Jenny Midgley. And this is the show where you come as you are with the courage to speak up and tell a better story. Yes. And while Joe is adjusting our lighting in the studio, even though you're not actually going to see this anywhere. But our guests see us and we look like Unabombers hiding in the basement, (laughs) figuring out our next plan because it's so damn dark and dreary in here. And they're like, what do y'all got going on in that basement? Yeah. (laughs) It was an interesting just pop in. Right? (laughs) Y'all, today our guest is Cindy Brown. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. Love it. Us too. Yeah. So tell us about your story. Who are you? What is your deepest, darkest secret? What have you gone through? What has shaped your life? Oh my God! Wow, I was just that kidding. Is so much. Like I was I just said, kidding. Arizona, how about so we start like with? Was, was how about kidding. we start with? I met Cindy again from the Believe Inspire Grow podcast pitch panel, where we I represented the girls who do stuff as a panelist, and Cindy was one of the guests that was pitching herself for the show, and her story really resonated, so we invited her on. And know. now, tell us your deepest, darkest secret and all of your traumas. No, all right, right. Well, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm a 30-year veteran teacher, actually put in my retirement work the February before the pandemic hits. I taught everything from transitional first grade, kids who were deemed not ready for first grade in a sense. They had maturity issues or attention issues, all the way through profoundly gifted. Mm -hmm. In those years and through all my experiences, I really realized how kids came up with their own stories as a way to protect themselves. Like I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough. And they were picking up on all the cues from friends, from even parents and teachers who were trying to say the most positive things, like such as you're in this special program because we're going to help you or, hey, you made it into the gifted class. That just put pressure on. So over the years, I really saw how families were shifting and changing towards the end of my career, dove deep into social emotional learning, growth mindset. And even as at then in my 40s, a woman, like those were new lessons for me because growing up, that wasn't something we talked about emotions and setback and how things aren't being done to us, but for us. So I started teaching kids as young as first grade through sixth grade, those concepts, and they completely got it. And parents would come in for conferences and they were just like, wow, when my child's attacking homework or they have a setback on the softball field, I love how they can tap into their mindset and overcome. Then I came to realize as the kids matriculated out of my class, yes, the parents believed in it, but they didn't know how to keep that language alive and to coach it. And then I started realizing, wow, middle school and high school is where the challenge is. What if we could prevent all that by early intervention? So I created Polish Parents because I know parents are doing the best they can. I just buff them up a little and give you the right tools so that your kids can go into adolescence with the strongest mindset ever. And it really just stemmed from my own personal growth not having those skills even as an adult to the level that I now understand. Yes. And as a fellow mindset coach, I'm like, yes to all of that. (laughs) Well, and these are the conversations. You and I have these conversations very frequently and I have them with other parents as well. And and Sarah does too, because the way that Sarah and I talk to our children is very much in alignment with what you were doing in your class. We are bound and determined to raise children who are, who have empathy, who have compassion, who are critical thinkers, 
who shame resilient, who are shame resilient. Yes. All, and who are capable of being vulnerable mm-hmm. and yeah. wearing what others would describe weakness as a badge, just character strength and understanding that there, it's not necessarily a weakness. It's just an area where you need support. And we've been having these conversations actually, because there's been stuff going on in, in the locker room and hockey. And so we've been having, some of us parents have been having these conversations and that's one of the things that come up where, because Nicholas walked into the room last week when I was uh, helping Samantha the cleaner room and he was just jabbering on as <laughs> kids tend to do. And he like slipped into the fact that one of the kids had played WAP in the locker room. These are 10 to 12 year old boys. What's a WAP? I, I don't know what that is. What's a WAP? Is it, gonna be, is it something you don't want to explain? It is a wet-ass <laughs> pussy. I knew what it meant. Yeah, the but, song. Oh, he played the song. Yeah. I thought you used oh. it as if it was oh, a game. Oh, like a game. Yeah, no. I thought it was like, I had no idea Wop. that was a song because like, I'm not cool. I didn't know what that I, was I did, know, I did <laughs> know it was a song. <laughs> right. But oh my God, I would die if my child heard that 10 song. 10 to 12-year-old kids. Nicholas is the youngest in the whole I would die. league in this age group. Vomit. So the majority Vomit of the kids coming. are 11 and 12. But I'm like, wait, what? And he couldn't even say the word. Like he was like... <laughs> It was, it was, I wish that I had been like mentally prepared and not in, so I could have recorded the interaction because it was like, he was like, and, and he played this song and it was inappropriate. And I was like, what song? And he was like, and I was like, what? I can't hear it. music is playing. And I'm like trying to organize these fucking toys. Cause there's so many fucking toys before. So I'm trying to organize shit. And then there's, and he's, I was yeah. like, I can't help you. Unless you articulate to me your need, right. please speak up. It was wild. Yeah, but in that situation, <laughs> like you could have flipped it now that we're after the fact, right. flipped it to the feelings. Like, right. well, when that song came on, like, how did you feel? Right. Like, why are you so uncomfortable? And that's really where these discussions need to go. Because yep. I think parents want all that for their kids. They want all, everybody wants a confident kid, a joyful child, yep. someone that can persevere. But it's how do you have those conversations? And as our generation was like raised, or maybe mine's a little different than your generation just due to age. We didn't have those conversations. No, and it wasn't no, we didn't have those conversations. And that's where it stems is having permission to feel the feels and label them and mm-hmm. find that right word that, yeah, that totally nails that feeling and being okay with it. Because then you can, this is why that song freaked me out in the locker room. And this is why I feel yep. bad that other boys had to hear it. And then, you know, that empathy of why does this other child think it's okay to do this? Yep. And it all just starts with those emotional conversations that I think now adults are learning and coming out of the pandemic have never been more important just because we've been so clustered together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The resolution to that was a reminder of we identify things and as anatomically correct words. Right. And we, so mm-hmm. I understand what you heard. This is what it yeah. meant. Like this is, and do you want to talk about it anymore? No, <laughs> I want to run away. I want to be done. I want the discomfort to end. Well, and I think it's because most people can only identify three feelings. And so happy, sad, angry. And it's okay. Let's equip Not them. Not fear. Yeah. No, like the research literally is three. But I know there's like 2,000. There's two, right. oh, over 2,000. So there's feelings words. and emotions, but yeah. And so it's yeah. equipping them with, okay, you're allowed to feel more than just that and let's label it yep. and let's normalize it. Yep. Yeah. And the way that we label it and normalize it is by having more, more conversations. conversations. Yep. Like today with Cindy. Yep. 
Yeah. And, you know, before we got on, we were talking about words and how you have this passion for words. And there is some great apps that help develop the emotion words. There's one called a mood meter. And I think it's maybe 99 cents. And it's a grid of, I don't even remember how many, maybe a hundred different emotions. And you click on it, it asks you your name. What are you doing? Are you at school? Are you at work? Is it your downtime? How are you feeling? And it gives a definition. So you can either say, yep, that's me or not. And it's on a grid. So you know which way to go to really nail that emotion. But just exploring it, you start to discover, oh, I could be, there's so many levels of sad. There's so many levels of being joyful. And then the app goes on to, do you want to continue to feel this way? You select yes or no. If it's a no, it gives you suggestions. If it's a yes, it encourages you to do what you're doing. But I've had a lot of families take out, use that app just to build the vocabulary to realize there's more than those three words. Yep. And when you break all that down, it turns out there's only 30% of all the feeling words are positive and about 50 mm. are negative, And then the rest are just met. They're just in the middle. And so it's really interesting to know that there's more on that, what we call a negative side, which actually turns into the positive because that's where your information is. Yeah. Yep. You can't walk around feeling happy all the time. So when something is making you slightly uncomfortable or severely, then you get to explore. And then you're like, huh, why did that trigger me? And that's where those dialogues come in. Yeah. So I just looked up the app and what's really interesting, what, what is immediately interesting to me about this is that you can actually then predict right? Because it helps you track down to time of day and location. So you can predict if there's an interaction or a person that is triggering an emotion in you, you can be like, oh, when I, when I go in front of this teacher or when I go to this family event, or then you have the data that you can use then and professionals. Clinical point of view. I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) This is being installed on both of the children's iPads. We're going to teach them how to use it. Like we're going to. What else does that, that I found very interesting is Amazon smoked or snuck that into their wearable tech. And so it will track your emotions and tie it to your blood pressure. And it'll let you know like what times a day you felt certain emotions and you can train the watch. But, uh, was that in the halo? Yes. in halo. Oh, that's what, which immediately is like as a marriage gift to to yourself. You're actually, honey, you were mad. Let's pull it up. The app says he requested it for Christmas. So (laughs) we will have, yes. Your heart rate was over 90 beats per minute. Turns out everybody was right. Fine doesn't mean fine. If you look at the app here, when you told me you were fine, you right. were fine. You were, actually- <laughs> you were actually fucked up and secure neurotic. And yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But um, that'd be great to track your kids and be like, yeah, every fifth period you have this immense yeah. spike of anxiety. Yes. What's going on there? Right. Yes. Right. And that's, right. and that's incredible. That would be huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah Cindy, that was gold right mood, there. Mood meter. We are yeah. open to collaborations. <laughs> That Just saying. Mark Rackett from Yale University. He's done lots of research on emotions and he's a great resource. But also like I've had clients use that and realize my kid is just gnarly every day at 4.30 and they started looking at the routine and it's like, oh, they come home and they jump right into gaming or whatever, but maybe they need a snack or what, you know, and you can look at sleep patterns. So it really does give you a lot of information. And the key is letting kids know okay, I'm normal for having these feelings. I'm not supposed to be happy every minute of the day and learning, okay, that's the information because now I can pivot or I can stay in this mood and do nothing. And I think it's, what's really interesting is like for Samantha, like I have taught, I taught her from whenever it was to identify when she doesn't know. So like Mm -hmm. that there's power in saying, I don't know, because then we can explore 
further things because adults don't realize how not accepting an answer of I don't know is disempowering to a child because the child when we and why questions immediately elicit and I don't know response and then we pummel them for not knowing when they're incapable of identifying so we in our house we empower the I don't knows because then it helps us explore all right so if you say I don't know do you just need me to sit here with you for a minute do you just need a hug so then and we're doing age appropriate and it doesn't always work believe me because there's sometimes I'm like we've been through this 30,000 times how do you not fucking know I can't I like I am triggered right now and I need to step away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. And that's what like the old fashioned timeout was. Go and think. Yeah. And I love that you do that because a lot of this is taking that pause and just like thinking and instead of moving forward or swallowing it or pushing it down. And a lot of adults are going, especially parents. Okay, I'm going to get the kids all ready for school. They're off to school. Now I get to go to work and then I'm going to come home. And nobody, very rarely are we pausing just to breathe and think like, how did I get to this emotional state? Or am I enjoying this emotional state? Like I want to be present in the moment, like, and take in this happiness. And that's another shift that we really, I really work on with families is it's okay to slow down. And it's definitely okay to say, I don't know. But now that you've posed that question, it's going to be in the forefront of your mind. And eventually the words will come or the the explanation will show up. And it doesn't have to be there in that moment. But the awareness of, let me just pause everything and and think about it is super important. Mm -hmm. What are some of the themes or lessons that you teach most often? Really just that, that pausing and talking to families about setting their kids up for success by giving them productive struggles or failures. So we do a lot of that through games that are really hard and aren't necessarily based on luck and just saying, hey, this is a new game and it's going to be really challenging and you might not be good at it and that's okay. And giving permission, even if it's, hey, we're going to swimming pool, let's try diving today off the board. When I was little, I was scared and just admitting that we don't just all jump into things and we're great at it and to find those things that are challenging and offer them, but do a little lead up with this might not be good for you or your brother might be really strong at this and you might struggle and I'm okay with that, but let's just see what we learn from it. And it might take six, seven, 12 times until you're comfortable, or you might decide that this really isn't for me, but I tried it and now I know more about balance or water or whatever it is. And that's really the thing that keeps kids motivated. The fact that okay, I can pause and I can look and think, okay, in this situation, I know A, B, C, and D. I don't know the rest. That's going to be my challenge. And therefore they can try it and then reflect. So it's that cycle of what do I know before I do it? I do it. I reflect on it. What can I do better the next time? For you making that transition from 30 years of education, which congratulations on retirement. That's amazing. And you got out right when the getting was good. I did. I did. How is that transition for you from education into entrepreneurship? 
It's been challenging because obviously in the school, I had a plethora of parents and they were always coming in and I could just say, hey, this is what way it has to happen. And this is what I suggest. During the pandemic, it was just hard to capture parents because either it was like, yeah, I don't really want to get on a Zoom call and have this conversation. My whole family's here. And then as things opened up, it was like, I just want my kids back in these activities. And it got back into that running around. So right now I'm actually changing my focus a little bit to help and support homeschool families, co-op families and those micro schools, because the parents have a different schedule. They're available during the day. That was the other thing. Like by the time the evening came, parents like, I'm so tired. Like I can't even deal with this. Mm -hmm. And so I offer a lot of different things from just speaking to groups like PTOs, community groups, church groups, doing parent facilitation, which could just be a round table, just questions and let's just problem solve and brainstorm and share to one-on-one coaching, which is a 10-week program because lifestyle changes take time. And I also want to go through a season of a child's life. So 10 weeks is about a quarter of school. So you're changing maybe sports or you're change, you're getting more into the routine of your school day and things like that. And that way we can test what we already know as parents through the program and then have these real life situations so that you are prepared when the unexpected comes up. One of the things I'm noticing is just what you said uh, at the beginning is if you teach them the skills when they were in your classroom and they were with you, they were practicing them all the time because that was the culture and the environment you created. But then when they moved on outside of your classroom, all those skills got lost because if you don't use it, you lose it. And so how do you set it up or what is the structure? What is the tips in order to create that practice and implementation of consistency? We used to talk a lot about goal setting and a goal can be small or it can be large, but a, a goal or information you don't know shouldn't be as easily saying, Siri, hey, what's this? It really takes time. And so if it's something significant, it's going to take time and embrace the fact that you're not going to know it immediately and that you might have to play around with it a little bit. You might have to explore a little bit to move forward. We also talked a lot about the idea of growth mindset and growth mindset is basically being open to everything and being curious and going into new situations more with a wonder. I wonder if I'm going to enjoy this. I wonder if I know anything about this ahead of time instead of a fixed mindset, which might be, I'm always bad at math. I'm never going to understand this. This is going to be challenging and trying to look at it. And, and yeah, maybe the last section in math was hard for you, but now you're moving on to something else. And so sometimes parents give those messages to their kids without meaning to. So they might say, it's okay. I was never good at math. Like our family is just not math people. And then that child, I'm not a math person. Okay. I've already accepted that. Or it could be the other way around where a child gets into the school, into the car and, oh my gosh, it's Friday. You must be so excited. Now you've set that tone for that child to feel like I should be super excited, but maybe they're like, I don't get to see my, internally, I don't see my friends. I really like coming to school. So we're working on changing our language in a sense so that kids can answer more authentically, can express their feelings and know that they're not going to get criticized or redirected and that it's okay just to feel what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is realizing that it ta- everything takes time. Don't do what I have something to say. I was like, she's going to throw in her damn statement. I am not. Go, go, go. We are not talking about the feelings being neither good nor bad. They just are right now. That is not at all what I was going to say. But since you teed it up so perfectly for me, 
Somebody said it on the last podcast I recorded, and it wasn't your show. Oh! Somebody said your jam. They used slightly different phrase, but I was. You've brainwashed. Brainwashed. It's so important, though. That I'm going to wear it on a T-shirt, put it on hats. It's going to be so on your, gray, your headstone. What I was going to say was that about changing that language, I'm not going to have a headstone because I'm going to be cremated and like spread in the ocean. But okay, you cannot distract me like that. Okay, so no, but what was Jenny? Super remember when you're going to die? How do you want to die? Listen, <laughs> all of y'all. Um, if I go, I would like it to be by kidney failure because that will be the most peaceful and quietest and you just go to sleep and all the toxins build, toxins build up in your body and you just don't wake up. However, what I was going to say to Cindy's point was about changing our language and how we relate. Yes. Like our internalized stories don't need to be their internalized stories, right? I, for years, joked about, ha ha, I didn't need to math because I'm a social worker. I'm a creative. I don't need to math because it was really hard for me the actual like execution of some of the things because as we've learned over the last 50 years people with ADHD and neurodiverse diagnoses those types of things just learn differently like the the executive function is different and the ability to execute those functions is very different but that doesn't mean that I don't get the concepts it just may take me a minute so Nicholas will come home and be like I suck at math, blah, blah, blah. And literally we're like, no, your report card says you got a four. Like you don't suck at math. You're just mad because it doesn't come super easy and you actually have to work for it because right. you just want it to flow. But we don't talk, we don't say words like I suck or mm-hmm. I ruined this or I'm bad at that. We're just like, no, it's just not an area where maybe you excel right off the bat. It's something that, you know, so but it's a conscious effort that like once you make that commitment, it is a conscious effort on the daily <laughs> to not impose your internalized shit onto your kids. Agreed. And, and I will also add, and I'm going to toss this back to you, Cindy, because <clears throat> those examples you just gave were so great of like when they get in the car and you're like, oh, it's Friday. Aren't you so excited? And I was like, oh, shit, I have done that. I did that today. Like, you're just trying to be the cheerleader and be, like, all in. Well, and and I'm excited for the weekend. I'm like, whoa, no more packing (laughs) lunches and, like, having to worry about carpool. And we get to have some fun. And I'm excited for the parade. But, and so, I'm just going to keep it real. As a parent, that can be exhausting to be be walking. Yes. Like, I don't have the bandwidth to be on all the time. Exactly. Sometimes I'm like, I can't sit here and worry about every damn word coming out of my mouth. You know how I got around that? Is that I said, so Samantha, like the first week of school would come home and and I'd be like, how was school today? It was amazing. So literally in front of her, I started telling everybody on the phone, on the, like, as we were out in public, people were asking about, oh, she comes home every day and says, oh my God, mommy, school was amazing. So literally she has not changed it one time. (laughs) (laughs) Because I conditioned her to say when she comes home But is it actually amazing? Is she being authentic, mom? She is. She (laughs) goes into it with this, I'm going to have fun at school today and we because we learned and i'm sorry nicholas if you ever listen to this we learned the that like what we were doing that wasn't the best in in our language like it was a learning process it did not come easily and it was something that we recognized thankfully because we saw how Nicholas had internalized things and those messages that he had, he was then parroting back and it wasn't even par- or just like making shit up, but it was just like the low self-esteem, like mm-hmm. self-deprecating, self-defeating language. And so we said, we're not going to do that again. 
So then, Cindy, for parents like me who are like, yes, I want to, of course, set my kids up for success, but sometimes I'm real tired of having to think about everything I say all the time, and sometimes I'm saying the wrong things, and it's just... What do we say? What do you got, Cindy? You can apologize. Like, you can reflect, too. You can pause and be like, wow, I maybe shouldn't have said that, and you can always go back and apologize and just say, hey, you know what? I was in the throes of making dinner, and I may not have been listening. Sorry if I led you to think you should be this way or that way. Or when they're saying, like, the day is amazing. Really? What happened? Like, dive into yeah. what made yeah. it so amazing for you. <laughs> she's and like, then if she's telling you the same exact nugget every day, <laughs> you can pivot and then ask more questions. Right. But What was your special today? If you I don't, don't know. know what to say, a question yeah. is always the best thing. Because then you're just diving deeper and they get to tell you about that emotion. Can you tell me more about that, please? Yeah. Yeah. Or give me an example or when or who made you feel happy today? Who made you feel amazing today? And those let's get you a snack so that you're no longer hangry. That was actually a really interesting thing that like we did when all the parents were able to this pre-COVID, but I think it was in second grade, maybe. For Nicholas, but we were all at the meet and greet for the teacher uh, and they do it after school starts. We were all sitting there and the teacher was talking about how hard it was later in the afternoon. And one of the parents was like, can they just have a second snack? I think because of their lunchtime, they're just hangry mm-hmm. and their blood sugar is low because I've noticed when my daughter get off, gets off the bus, blah, blah, blah. They implemented the second snack and all things changed in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah are the basic needs being met it's maslow's hierarchy of needs you have to know are they do they have food insecurity do they have shelter do they have all of those things all of those things met and then can you set them up for success because without those things being met it's going to be harder i'm and- mostly joking but i like to think that all the kids are pavlog dogging at this point like they get cranky and parents just give them food and yes. they're like yeah i'm better yeah, <laughs> that's like yeah. in uh, the Big Bang Theory when Sheldon was feeding, was feeding uh, Penny, Penny chocolate. the chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's happening. Yeah. But then the kids are going to figure it out one day and be like, "I'm not hungry." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Cindy, for you, what is one of your own personal mindset challenges, and how did you overcome it? For me, it well, I actually went to a coach years ago, and. It was funny because I wasn't going to go and like the whole concept of like mindset from her perspective, I wasn't buying it. I'm like, that's really woo woo. I want to do it. And it was all about like vibrations and how we each have an individual vibration. And through a series of questions, she said mine was she wanted to label adoration. Like I didn't have I wasn't all about promoting me, wasn't proud of me, but it was I was doing things to make other people happy. I like making my parents happy growing up, trying to impress my husband with different things. And then in the when I was teaching, like I wanted my classroom to be the best classroom. And of course, I wanted it for the kids, but it was never satisfying for me as much. So we worked on the concept of adoration and it was just through like interesting conversations and me sharing, you know, my life came into my classroom and they upset me. It was why. And it was all about diving into why did I not think I was enough? Why did I think everything I did was for somebody else? And it really went down to how I was raised because my parents were constantly everything. We got trophies for everything. Like everything we did was recognized. And it it took almost a year just to get through that where I could say, hey, I, you know what? I am a really great teacher and I may not be the best parent every day. My kids are happy we do this. I, I'm, I love the relationship I have with my parents. So for me, it was, I guess, self-acceptance as another 
term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just quickly touching back onto your other question, now that you have the awareness of I might not say the right thing, that's where you start. And just like I was explaining before, like the more times you do it, the easier it is. And then also just about the journey. My favorite conversations are when I have two parents who are raising the same child and talking about their history. So what was the message you received as a child around homework? What was the message you received as a child around school, friendship, career, money, vacations, um, spending money? And we have all these conversations because here's these two adults. And sometimes it's extended family, especially during COVID. It was like grandparents were moving in. and But you have all these adults trying to influence a child. But until everyone taps into what were the messages I was raised with and how can I openly share that with the partner I'm raising this child with? it helps open up that communication because that was one thing where my husband and I struggled. We were brought up in totally different atmospheres and we had way different expectations on our kids. Yes. I was like, we're going to need to dive into that a little bit, Cindy, because we're all over here experiencing that. Well, no, because it's really funny. I was like, were you in my house on Monday with the disagreement with my husband? Were you at dinner with us on Tuesday night? Because... Hey, I am the parent's secret weapon to raising balanced children. So like, and it's funny because it's one of those things like no better, do better. We strive to do better, right? Than the generations before. So I think it's really important to recognize like boundaries are healthy. (laughs) Empathy is normal compassion is good. Like we have to normalize all of these things where, for example, something that happens, I think in every family and all of these situations is like the hug goodbye. Mm-hmm. Just because they're family does not mean that your, your four-year-old has to consent to give them a hug. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you take away that bodily autonomy mm-hmm. and force them to hug and, and take away their ability to consent, just because that's the way it's always been done you're reinforcing to them that they are not safe, that they are not secure, that they don't have that control. That then can come out in and play out in other ways. Mm-hmm. So it's challenging those norms from previous generations where you're able to say, yep, I got it. I understand that's how you did it. In our family, this is what we're practicing. And if you can't accept that, then I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to. And it's having the strength and the support to lay out those boundaries. So when you have these conversations with your partner about co-parenting and making sure that you're on the same page so you're not creating an invalidating environment for your children. But then does it create an invalidating environment for your partner? But if you're having the conversation, then you if you're open about it, to Cindy's point, like yeah. it's super important to have those conversations so that you can arrive at a, even if you're fundamentally different, if you can agree to say, okay, in the in in the best interest of this tiny human that we're hoping to put out in the world one day mm-hmm. <laughs> and not have them come back in misery we're going and if you can't then you have to enlist the help of mm-hmm. somebody else if it feels invalidating for cuz i know and honey i know you're listening to this so i apologize in advance in our house like that has come up he's i don't understand why it has to be this way and i'm like i get that however this is one place where I have to like strong arm because once we start practicing it and I think that part of that invalidating validation process is once they're invalidated, if they see that your way works, then they can be more open and accepting to it. So just try it out. I'm not saying no, let me just try it this way because your way wasn't working. Right. So why don't we try it this way and do it in a more, you can have the conversation. We'll experiment for three to six months. Yeah. (laughs) 
or, or three to six it, days or three like, to six you know, hours and look at the look at the outcomes yeah Go ahead, Cindy. You flip it though because it sounds with this scenario each parent has their perspective and almost buying for it. we're doing it my way but what if you just look at it i want to empower my child to have a voice and so when you're leaving it to your child to say, I feel, I am, I want, I that, it changes it because you want your child to be happy. You want them to feel motivated and confident and willing to move forward. And you can always say, in my experience, I, like we had a family issue, not in my immediate family, but within the family where the mother was just like, Hey, I was always on track. You guys are going to go on track. I believe in track. I made my best friends when I was in high school track where the husband was just, that's not what they want to do. Why can't they explore something else? And it made broad odds because to this one woman, like this is the track you need to go on. And finally we coached the kids to say, Hey mom, I get that you really love this. And I tried it and it's just not for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the empowerment comes in. And you can say, dad believes this grandma believes that and just tell them like, Hey, this is what's going on around you. But how are you feeling doing this? Do, yeah. you, do you have an interest in it? And maybe this year there is no interest, but three years from now, there could be an interest. And then they know I can go talk to because well, now. I think that's the biggest gift we can give our kids is self-awareness. Yep. Yeah. Because there's so many. And, and empowered to, and the voice. and the, Yeah. Empowered to speak up. Yeah. And so I'm like, tell me what your truth is. Like, and that's my whole thing. I would rather just give me the damn truth. Yeah. So that then I know what we can work with and how to proceed. But if you're just placating me or BSing or people pleasing, I cannot stand that because then you're essentially lying to me and you think well, you're, you're manipulating nice. it and you don't like you're being manipulated and you don't like being manipulated. Right. And so you think you're being nice by pleasing me. But, but you're I actually just manipulating me and you're gaslighting me and I know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> and I just give me the truth. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. No, okay. That's um, all I want. You know, right. the ultimate goal is to raise independent, confident, great citizens. And yeah. if a child feels, okay, I'll just do that because you said when they're 18, 21, that's not going to work for them just being led by everyone else's decision. Right. Right. My mom did that with me and my sister. She was like, your sister did all of these things. So why, why wouldn't you do all of these things? And I'm like, I got to the point where I remember like crying and begging to please not make me go take the piano lessons anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And but I was not eight, nine, 10. I was like 13. And I was like, it had gone on for years that I had asked to stop. And, but, oh, but you come from a line of musicians, like strangers. You don't want to have strangers come up onto the, uh, to you on the street and impose their beliefs on you. We also want to raise these confident free thinkers who we are not imposing our shit on them. Which is a societal shift. Yes. And it yes. wasn't that way. And so a lot of this is just giving parents permission to, hey, new world, new experiences. Yep. Information comes faster than when we were younger. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have a cell phone. And really listening to our children and where they're at and what their comfort level is. Yes, offer things, explore things like, hey, I when I was in high school, I did this. You want to give it a try? Let them try it. If not, that's okay. But everything is different. And recognizing that is the key to what's happening right now in our society. Just slowing down, be who you are, voice who you are with confidence, and allow other people into your space and your world. 
Right, because like you said at the beginning, as, as you get older, the adults are hitting that 40, 45 space. And that's when they start asking themselves, wait, is this what I actually believe? Mm-hmm. Or is this just stuff I'm carrying with me? Because I think I that's how I was raised right. and trained. It's like so I wait, was today I years believe? old. Right. right? Yeah. Like I am today years old and I learned blank. And so just being like, now we're shifting it so that every human always, regardless of age, is able to sit there and go, is this what I truly believe? And what do I truly believe? And talk it through, verbalize it, normalize it, and put words and language around it. Exactly. Exactly. Love it. Love yeah. it. Connect with us at girlswhodostuff.com. Subscribe to our email list for fun announcements and leave us a review. It helps other people find our stuff. We would be so grateful to you for taking those actions so we can get this out into the world and change more lives. I am Jenny Midgley. I am Sarah Madras. And, and you, you do, do you, boo. boo. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing to this podcast and follow us on social media. 